Well, good morning. It is uh, good to be with you guys. We will be in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. So if you have your Bibles turned there, we'll be at the end of chapter 2, verses 19 to 30 this morning. If you guys have your Bibles, follow along with me. Verse 19, Paul writes, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will generally be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus, but you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to the death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. We pray with me. Father God, we give you great thanks for your word. Um, Father, I thank you that there is no piece of it that is not relevant, that is not significant to our lives. Father, I pray in this peculiar passage this morning, Lord, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would draw us into it, Lord. I pray that you would make it relevant to us today. Uh, that you would allow us to see uh, what it is that you were trying to say to us through this section of your word and that you would allow us to have ears to hear and hearts that will be responsive to you. pray that you'd use me however you see fit and that you would use this time to accomplish your purposes in each of our lives. Uh, Father, I pray that no matter where we're coming in this morning, no matter where we've been this week, Lord, I pray you'd give us just a short time that we could just sit in your presence, not just in worship, but even just before the reading of your word, and that you would allow this time to bear fruit in our lives, and that you would take your word, and that you would do deep things in us that would impact us for a lifetime this morning, Lord. Father, I ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. Well, for you guys, uh, as a desire to be relevant and helpful to you guys, I have put together this week a top 10 series of commandments for your use of Facebook, all right? Uh, Just some simple guidelines that I think would hopefully be helpful to you and avoiding some classic rookie mistakes or just even veteran mistakes, just things I've noticed while being on Facebook with you guys, things that I think will be helpful to you guys, all right? Commandment number one, kind of Dave Letterman-ish kind of thing here, top 10, all right? Thou shall not change your relationship status without consulting the other person, all right? Just kind of a brief little kind of heads up, you know, that probably doesn't go well to find out how serious she is by upgrading her status to officially in a relationship, right? Uh, Number two, thou shall not post embarrassing photos of other people, all right? Just, again, uh, it'll avoid you getting in trouble, avoid people hating you, all right? Don't do that, all right? Uh, Number three, thou shalt be discreet when posting messages on someone else's wall, all right? Um, actually, this uh, past semester, I had someone uh, post on my wall a quick little story that he followed with and said, hey, and make sure not to tell anybody. Keep it on the down low. I was thinking, do you not know you just posted that to my wall, you know? And, and then I quickly realized he realized this mistake, deleted it, and sent me a private message, all right? And so, uh, you know, it's great to keep certain things that are private, not on people's wall. That'll help avoid you in relational trouble, all right? Commandment number four, thou shalt not use Facebook to converse with your significant other before the entire world, all right? This is one of my personal pet thieves, all right? I hate it when boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife are just talking to each other for the rest of the world. It's like, pick up the phone and call them, all right? I don't need to know about your romance, okay? Uh, Number five, although update me as to its official status, but other than that, I'm good, all right? Number five, thou shalt not ask someone out or dump someone via wall message or status update. Please, pet peeve number two, all right? 
No one asking out anyone on, on Facebook, all right? Let's actually pick up the phone or talk to someone in person, all right? We'll actually come back and talk about that a little bit later. Uh, number six, and if someone dumps you, number six, it kind of leads into number six, don't start hate groups, all right? You know, don't, don't assemble a little group that's all about hating someone individual who just broke your heart, all right? Not a good idea on Facebook, all right? And I don't know why, but I keep going about exes here with commandment number seven, all right? Thou shalt not stalk exes or their new lovers, okay? Uh, as you have a relationship with splinters, it's not a good idea on Facebook to be stalking them, creeping on them, seeing who they're in a relationship with, and following their course of a new relationship after you, all right? One last commandment for you about exes, all right? Thou shalt never send messages to your ex after 2 a.m. ever, all right? Nothing good happens on Facebook after 2 a.m. with your ex, all right? Nothing good. Just don't do it. Don't hit the send button, all right? Um, two last ones for you. Commandment number nine, all right? Thou shalt not I am anyone you haven't spoken to in over a decade, all right? Um, you know, sure, you can get that Facebook uh, add a friend request from that elementary school person that you've not talked to, but don't. Don't get into a conversation. It's not really helpful, right? I mean, how's that go? I haven't seen you since the 90s. How have you been? You know, I, I, that just seems so incredibly awkward to me, all right? What do you do, all right? Number 10, thou shalt not post something every 15 minutes, all right? And you know who you are, all right? All right, there's some of y'all in here who do this, and I don't want to watch you on my status feed, all right? And so I hide you, all right? Um, and that's just me. I'm just being honest with you, all right? Don't do that, all right? Um, and so... Uh, we're going to talk a little bit this morning about social media, all right? Um, and I know you're wondering, how am I going to get from Philippians 2 to social media? It's going to happen, watch and learn, all right? Um, and for some of y'all who are thinking, you know, hey, where's he going to go with this? Let me, let me just say, Facebook, social media is taking over our lives, all right? Uh, 95% of all students' studies show are using Facebook today, all right? So if you are not using Facebook or have a Facebook account, you are approaching 2% or status, all right? Chew on that, all right? Average student spends about 106 minutes a day on Facebook. 106 minutes every day, almost two hours, is the average student, all right? Average student visits Facebook six times per day for an average of 20 minutes, 24 minutes per, per visit, all right? Now, I know some of y'all are thinking, all right, this is going to be the Facebook is evil, social media is the Antichrist sermon. It's not where I'm headed, all right? Uh, that's not where I'm going, all right? In fact, actually, a lot of these studies and statistics show a couple things that I thought were kind of surprising to me this week. Uh, a lot of research is out there now that shows that uh, increasing time on Facebook doesn't even necessarily lead to decreasing GPA, all right? Uh, just because you're on Facebook a lot doesn't mean that you can't study or do well in school, all right? Some of y'all might not have been thinking that anyways, all right? Uh, one of the ones that I kind of thought was fascinating that kind of actually addressed a little bit of an incorrect assumption I had was uh, most studies and statistics are showing today that those that are incredibly active on Facebook and, and on social media are actually quite social in, in real person interactions, all right? Uh, just because you are living online and living in social media does not mean that you don't have actual real good people skills, all right? Actually, what we find from studies is that those that are very engaged in social media are also those that are very engaged on campus and in social organizations that are very active, not just online, but even on campus, all right? And so as we look at really the way that social media is changing the way that we, we interact, the way that we relate, the way that we do life, it is not a correct assumption to say that if you are great online, you are not great in person, all right? And none of y'all are thinking that, and none of y'all would have led that direction. But what I do think that we're beginning to see in our day and time is this, that I think the rise, the emergence, and even the dominance of social media is causing a certain aspect of relationships to be de-emphasized. Because of the fact that social media and, and Facebook and uh, all those things that are out there, the way that they have really put a hook in our lives and the way that they are changing the way that we communicate and even relate to one another is beginning to de-emphasize an aspect of what relationships look like and how they function that is absolutely critical in our lives. 
particularly I think a lot of social media is making this certain aspect not just unnecessary, but now increasingly more inconvenient. And the aspect of relationships that I'm talking about that I think social media is causing us to de-emphasize is the necessity to be in person with one another. I'm going to argue to you guys and submit to you guys this morning in Philippians 2 that you and I have been created relationally to function and to work in a way that requires in-person relationships. And it's not that social media causes us to not to be in person at all. In fact, a lot of the technology today, today is making those interactions far more and more like we are just in person. And yet, no matter where technology will take us, I want to submit to you that there is a necessity for the fact that you and I have to, at times, be in a room together and that we have to be in person with one another. I want to submit to you guys this morning that there is a power of being present with one another that we cannot overlook even as social media arises and dominates and changes the way that we interact, communicate, and relate to one another. In fact, I think what Paul will do for us in Philippians 2 is really stress that importance the necessity and the power to be in person with one another in not just relationships, but even in ministry. That there is a necessity and there is a power of presence. And it's going to be seen in Philippians 2 this morning. And it's going to be seen, and I'm going to argue for, even in the day and time in which social media dominates our culture like it does today. In fact, to be perfectly honest with you guys this, this morning, as I was wor- working through this passage this week, I started off with it Monday and Tuesday reading through it, and I started to laugh, all right? I read through this and I thought to myself, Lord, what in the world am I supposed to do with this passage? All right. Basically, Paul is going to say, hey, church in Philippi, here's what I want to do. I want to send to you a guy named Timothy. You know of him. Uh, And and even I myself, I want to come visit you in person just like I want to send Timothy. But because Timothy and I can't come right now, I'm going to send to you Epaphroditus, who you already sent to visit me in person. But I'm going to turn him back around and let him come visit you again and return back home to be in person. This whole passage, in a way, is like a a travel agent who's just orchestrating and communicating people's travel plans, all right? I was talking about this passage this week with Roger Jones, one of our interns, and and he likened it to a mafia mob boss who's stuck in prison who's still running the family business, all right? Uh, You know, arranging spiritual hits, if you will, all right? You know, Paul's just sitting in prison, and he's got people traveling to and from, and he's still got this thing running like a well-oiled machine. That's That's what Philippians 2 feels like, all right, in some regards, And what's fascinating to me is I kind of read through it and felt this passage hit me this week is really the last two weeks we've been in chapter two of the book of Philippians and what I think are some of the richest passages in the book. Uh, Earlier, a few weeks ago, we looked at the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at Paul's command to work out your salvation. And we talked about a lot of new covenant theology and some truths that we talked through last week that I told you were some of the most impactful and transformational in my whole spiritual life through all of college. And on the heels of that, just when it felt to me like the book was getting good, comes this little dud, all right? Paul's just telling us about his people's travel plans. And I remember thinking, what am I supposed to do for 30 minutes with this, God? Are you kidding me? Do you not realize we're in the middle of a preaching series and this doesn't really preach very well? (laughs) What am I supposed to do with this, all right? It felt like filler material. It felt like Paul just didn't really know what to do. And so he kind of just wanted to give them a little quick update. And then he picks back up on his train of thought in chapter three. And we get into some great stuff in chapter three. In many ways, I think uh, really chapters two and three are kind of buttressed in between this, what to me felt like filler material. And then I was reminded this week that in between the two pieces of an Oreo is the creamy, delicious filling that exists, that is the best part of it. And there's something right here that I think is great for us this morning, all right? And so hang with me this morning because I think what we're going to see is something that is not just filler material, all right? It's as delicious as an Oreo cream filling, but it is going to be, I think for us, especially at this point in time and in this day and time, all the more relevant and all the more significant to you and I in the day and time that we live in. 
As Paul is going to talk about the necessity and the power of being in person with one another in the context of community. And so that's where we're going to head this morning. That's where Paul is going to take us. And I think what we're going to find is not just that Paul had only one method to communicate and relate in his day and time due to technology, but particularly what we're going to see is that it was his best method. He's going to dispatch people because that was the best thing that he could do because it was the most impacting, not just within relationships, not just within a community, but even in ministry that he was leading. The power of presence is transformational. And there's something about being in person with one another that, that cannot be substituted for any other form of communication or interaction. That's where we're going to head this morning. That's what I want you guys to see. So Philippians chapter 2, really as we kind of begin, I want to kind of stress to you guys in a sense the necessity of presence, all right? Notice that Paul is going to dispatch three different people this morning. Uh, not this morning, but in this passage, all right? Uh, Philippians 2, notice verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Verse 24, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. So Paul says, hey, I want to send to you Timothy. I want to come, but since we can't come immediately, verse 25, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, a guy that they had originally sent to him. And so Paul, and really the basic point of this letter or this part of the passage of the book is, hey, I want to send to you three different people. I want to make three different visits to you, all right? So why in Paul's mind was visiting people in person so necessary? Why does he put this section right smack dab in the middle of the letter? Why did it gain such great attention that it stops him mid-thought of what he was talking about to address this for them? I think ultimately we're going to see that it was absolutely necessary for their relationship, for their growth, and even for the ministry itself. That there is a power and there is a necessity of presence in our lives that God has created us that way. Let me ask you guys, let me pose the question to you guys. As you think about Paul's time, he didn't have Twitter, he didn't have uh, Facebook, he didn't have any kind of cell signal. Um, He had some form of uh, archaic, slow-moving mail carrier, and he had the chance to visit in person, all right? Paul didn't have a lot of vehicles by which he could communicate to people. He basically had some kind of slow mail carrier, or he could show up in person. So why does Paul choose this? Uh, Many of us would argue it's not really a great question because he's only got very few options, right? Uh, But let me me pose a question in a different manner and ask this. If God was in the same situation... And if God wanted to communicate an important message, what would God do? Obviously, God, even in first century church, didn't have Twitter, didn't have Facebook, didn't have social media, didn't have email, didn't have cell signal, right? But even as we look through the scriptures, what we see from Genesis to Revelation is that God can and does communicate in all different kinds of ways. Sometimes he communicates without word, but through experience. And so even Psalm 19 will say that the creation itself pours forth speech day and night. That the creation itself that you and I live and move about in is screaming to you and I certain things about God. Not just the creation itself, but we see even throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation that God finds all different kinds of vehicles to communicate and to relate to you and I. Sometimes he shows up uh, in a burning bush to Moses and, and with an audible voice. At the baptism of Jesus, God speaks from the heavens and a dove comes down. God does all kinds of wild and different things in the way that he communicates and the way that he interacts and relates to you and I. Sometimes he's audible, sometimes he's not. Sometimes he's visual, sometimes he's not. Uh, sometimes he's, he's present for multiple people, and sometimes it's just for an individual as he communicates and as he relates. In fact, we find that even in the uh, Gospels, as Jesus will talk about eventually having to depart, he's going to say that I have to leave so that the counselor can come and he can guide you into truth and guide each and every single one of us who knows Jesus Christ. So from Genesis to Revelation, we see that God employs all kinds of methods to communicate and to relate to his people. So for the most important message, does God choose to come in person? Yes, right? 
In fact, that's what Paul just said a couple weeks ago as we looked at the earlier part of chapter 2. Really, as we look at, in a sense, Paul here, the end of chapter 2, dispatching people, what we're going to see earlier in chapter 2, what we already saw is that when God wanted to communicate the most important message, he didn't go with just a visual. He didn't go with just an audible voice. He didn't go with just creation or just some kind of experience that people were left to figure out what it meant. He actually came for an in-person visit. That's really exactly what Paul was saying earlier in chapter 2 when he said, verses 6 and 7, Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. That when God wanted to communicate the most important thing to humanity, the thing that they could not miss, the thing that was the most important thing for them to grasp, he came in person. In fact, some will write in, in the book of Acts and in, in, in the epistles that will say, looking back on the visitation of Christ, they'll say that some missed the day of visitation of Jesus Christ. He came and he visited in person, but many missed it. And what's fascinating is that when God wanted to offer the most important thing that he could ever offer, the most important thing that he could ever communicate, he came in person. And that's what the incarnation is all about. It is God coming in person. And so Paul will say in Philippians 2, in one of the most uh, interesting passages, he'll say that, and it says, Jesus emptied himself by taking on human nature. Him who was divine, who was seating in the heavenlies, took on human nature and came and lived amongst us. He came for an in-person visit. It wasn't just Paul dispatching three different people for a church, but it was God dispatching his only son, Jesus Christ, to come in person for you and I. And when God wanted to communicate the most important thing that he could, he came in person. Because there's something powerful about being actually in person in the same space, in the same room, in the same space and time continuum. There's something uniquely powerful about that. So God didn't miss it. Like what we find is when Jesus came in our own space and time, an exchange occurred. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we find not just that Jesus took on humanity, but here's what was the end result of his own life in the flesh along with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, He made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What's Paul saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? What was the exchange that occurred by this in-person visit? God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Jesus, who walked and lived amongst us perfectly sinlessly, who did not err, who did not violate the command and the righteous standard of God, who was absolutely sinless, God made him to become sin. The sin that was you and I's, that was uh, all of humanity's that had transgressed the perfect and holy standard of God, God took that sin and he put it upon Jesus Christ so that what Jesus became was a deposit for our sin. Fascinating exchange that occurred, though, is not just that he got our sin, but that we got his righteousness. What Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5 is that if you know Jesus Christ, it's not just that Jesus got your sin and died in your place on a cross, but that you got his righteousness. An incredible exchange occurred, and that is the gospel. That is the good news that he came to share in person. Not by picture, not by telegraph, not by Twitter, uh, but came in person. A wonderful exchange that you and I could have never had and never merited, that Jesus would hand us his own righteousness that was not ours, but his on the basis of his own death, burial, and resurrection. That we could have life and that we could have forgiveness and that we could have our own sentence wiped away clean on the basis of what he has done for us. And it was that message that he would not leave to any kind of telegram or any other kind of visitor or communicator. He wanted to come in person and say to himself. 
because there's a power in presence. In fact, really what we're going to see in Philippians 2 is you're going to notice the impact really of an in-person visit. Notice what Paul is going to say. Really, as people are dispatched, what you're going to notice is an exchange of head, heart, and hands. I want you guys to notice exactly what Paul will say here in terms of the impact of the visit. Verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. What was the exchange that occurred? Paul sends Timothy. And why does he send Timothy? What is he hoping to have happen? He's hoping that an exchange would occur in his own head in which he would pick up some information and that his heart would be moved as well. An in-person visit moved the head and the heart of Paul. There was an exchange both mentally and even emotionally because of an in-person visit. It goes on further. Notice now the end of verse 20. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul says, hey, I, I could send a message along and just get some information communicated with anybody, any warm body. But ultimately what Paul was wanting to accomplish and what he saw as a need was not just a transference of information. He wanted a heart to be expressed and emotion to be shared. He wanted them to know that there was no one else that could communicate in the way that Timothy could because Timothy cared for them in a way that no one else did. And Timothy cared for them in a way that matched Paul's own concern in a way that no one else did. And it was only by an in-person visit that information could be transferred, but also an emotion that could be expressed and a heart that could be shared. Notice also, uh, even in verse uh, 25, notice, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also a messenger and a minister to my need. What was the role of Epaphroditus as the church in Philippi sent him to Paul to be in person? He was to be a messenger for the church, so he was to be communicating information, but he was also to be a minister to Paul's need. It wasn't just that there was to be an impact and exchange of information and an impact and exchange of emotion, but there was to be an impact and exchange of hands and assistance. (laughs) That apart from being in person, there's great limitation as to what you and I can express and the way that you and I can participate with one another. You and I have to be in person to exchange hands, to exchange hearts, to exchange information in the most powerful and the deepest way possible. There's something we lose through social media and there's something we lose even through technology in those three different arenas. Sure, information you and I can exchange far more effectively, far more quickly through technology and through email, but there's something about an in-person encounter, even in terms of information and especially in terms of emotion and experience in which we share alongside of one another. There is absolutely no substitute for being in person. No substitute whatsoever. In fact, notice the impact of these relationships. Paul will say, because of that, notice what happens to these relationships. Uh, to kind of back up, you know, I, I wanted to kind of drive this home for you guys a little bit more and just kind of say to you guys, I, I think some of y'all who are in long-distance relationships get this. Uh, the person that you care most about, the person that you are madly maybe in love or trying to pursue a relationship with, the physical separation that exists makes this thing almost at times a painful prison, right? Uh, you don't want out of this thing, but by being separate from one another, it's really difficult, it's painful. Because there's something about wanting to be in person that you realize is absolutely essential to that relationship doesn't mean that the relationship can't grow. doesn't mean that you cannot continue to progress further to see what God has for this dating relationship. But there's something about being in person that you're so desperate for because it's so essential to a relationship. Uh, on the flip side of that, some of you guys have crushes that you're already beginning to wonder right now what's going to happen over spring break, right? There's a guy or a girl you're not even in a relationship with, but you know in about 10 days you're not going to be in the same physical place as them, not in the same city, and you're already anxious about it, all right? And you haven't even had a date with them. You just care about them, right? And that physical separation is already making you panic, all right? I've been there. I know what that's like, all right? It's okay. Uh, but there's just something about how you and I are created and how you and I function and how you and I communicate and relate that so desperately needs to be in person. 
first as a church and as a staff, it is our vision and it is our desire for you guys, one day, Lord willing, to graduate and to take off, all right? Uh, it is our joy and it is our celebration when we get emails from you guys or phone calls back from you guys to hear, you know, two, three, four, even years down the road, kind of where you are, what God's doing with you. Uh, and that for us is one of our greatest celebrations and one of our greatest excitements. Um, but the joy of our job here as your uh, college pastor and staff that's trying to shepherd and love you guys is also our curse. <laughs> it's no surprise to us that one day you're graduating and leaving, all right? It's no surprise to us that you're not necessarily wanting to spend the entirety of your life in Bryan College Station, all right? We get that, all right? This isn't, you know, the end-all, be-all for you, okay? So we know that, it's not by surprise, we know that one day you're eventually going to leave us, all right? And because of that, even though we're not surprised, I will tell you that when you guys leave, I'm not trying to be cheesy, but we are never the same. We love you guys, we care for you guys, and as we've interacted with you guys, as we've moved into relationship with you guys, and then you guys physically move off, there's a piece of our heart that, that takes off with you. There's an element of us that we are never the same. It is always easier uh, to leave than be left, and we are the ones who are left here another year, right? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or feel bad, but I'm just trying to express to you guys that we love you, and because of that, when you guys leave, it is difficult because there's a pain that exists. And that's why Paul will say, even of Epaphroditus, notice what he says of Epaphroditus in verse 27. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Notice the physical removal of a person uh, from Paul would have created sorrow upon sorrow. Not just because he would have died, but even his own physical separation from the church in Philippi had distressed them that in that separation of physical presence, there was a sorrow and there was a stress and there was an anxiety. Again, because there's something that's absolutely essential about being in person with one another. And that when you and I have the opportunity to be in person with one another and to live life with one another, a depth of relationship begins to grow. Notice that what Paul will say of Timothy, of a guy that he has been side by side with for a long time. Verse 20, for I have no one else of kindred spirit. Paul knew the exact heartbeat of Timothy. Not because Timothy had just shared it over the phone, but because he had lived life alongside of Timothy. He knew what drove Timothy. He knew Timothy in and out because they had been in person along with one another. Verse 22, but you know of his proven worth, speaking of Timothy, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. That there's something about being in person with one another that allows us to be engaged together in a common task. And so Paul says, as he and I have been engaged in a common task, as we've been a part of something that's even bigger than our own friendship and relationship, this is a guy that I have the deepest of possible relationships with. I'll tell you guys, I think for you, uh, the opportunity you have in college to do life with alongside of one another as friends will provide you some of the deepest and the longest lasting relationships you may ever have. Uh, when I got to college, and we've talked about this before, but college felt to me like an eternal long camp, all right? You know, it's like you're away from mom and dad. You're with all your friends all the time. You're living with each other. Uh, you can go eat whatever you want at the grocery store, and there's no one you know, on you, all right? You know, but you're living life all the time with each other. Uh, and it looks so fundamentally different than it looked in high school, which is why hopefully you are right now on a course to develop the kinds of relationships that you'll have for a lifetime. It was my college friends that were my groomsmen in my wedding. It was my college friends and roommates that I still connect with even once a year in person. But even this week, I talked with all of them on the same day. They all called me for different reasons on the same day. I'm still doing life in some form or fashion with these guys that I did life with in college because this opportunity you have to do life in person with one another is a period in time and, a, and an opportunity that you may never have in the rest of your life. There's something about doing life with one another alongside, side by side, shoulder to shoulder that provides and allows for a depth 
that is absolutely, uh, you cannot parallel it, you cannot substitute it. So what I want to do for you guys just simply is just ask this to kind of examine your own relationships with a few questions. If that's what college can afford you, then are you on that kind of track record? Are you moving in that kind of direction? Ultimately, I want to ask you guys just a series of questions just in terms of your own relationships as you look at your friendships. And, uh, and again, I'm not saying that social media is evil, but I just want to ask you guys in terms of your own friendships, how much of the time do you spend with your relationships is through social media versus being actually in person? So you think about the friendships in your life, how much of it is spent online versus how much of it is spent uh, eye to eye, shoulder to shoulder, uh, across a table, across a, a living room, doing life alongside of one another. Even as you look to exchange information, as you look to exchange a story in your life, how do you do it? Do you walk across the room? Do you pop online uh, with the people that you want to share life with? How do you exchange those, not just basic pieces of information, but even the stories that uh, are moving of your very heart that have led you to stress, that have led you to heightened emotion? How do you do that? Uh, is it in person or is it through another vehicle, through another medium? Uh, lastly, I just want to ask you guys, as you think about your own relationships, as you think about uh, community, how absolutely essential and necessary do you think being in, present, being in person is? How powerful do you actually think being in person actually is? Is it uh, necessary or is it just supplemental? Uh, how much are you willing to pay to actually be in person? Because if you don't believe that being in person is necessary, if you don't believe there's an absolute uh, power of presence that you cannot substitute through any other vehicle, then you and I will not pay the cost to be in person. Because I think what Paul's going to do is not just highlight for you and I the necessity of presence, but he's going to highlight for you and I the cost of presence. To actually be present physically in one another's life comes at a great cost, all right? Um, in fact, what you can notice is, as Paul speaks here in verse 21 again is notice the threat that comes to presence. Notice what he says in verse 20. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He says, I, I can only send you Timothy because I don't have only one guy that is truly concerned about you. Notice he says in verse 21, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. The number one threat really to presence is selfishness. The number one threat to actually experiencing and living life in person with one another is selfishness, all right? It's fascinating as you think about this, that really the, the thing that you and I have to absolutely need to, to really move deeply into one another's life is something that actually threatens our sense of uh, selfishness, threatens our sense of what we want. Chapter two of the book of Philippians has been all about humility. And so it, it's going to r- r- really ride and settle in on this last area of application in terms of how you and I live out humility. What Paul is going to say is he looks at Timothy, he's going to say, hey, here's a guy that will risk and will look after your interests and not his own. In fact, I don't have that many guys that I can send you because there's only one guy that truly cares for you and only one guy that really is thinking about not his own agenda and his own life, but yours, which is why he is willing to come to you in person. There's a cost to be in person with one another. Uh, Primarily, I think it costs time. It costs a lot of time to figure out sometimes how to arrange schedules to even be in person with one another. It costs time to figure out actually how to stop and slow down uh, and that phone and email uh, and text, I think at times allow relationships to occur on our status, on our agenda uh, and, and on our prerogative and sometimes really allows us to maintain an element of selfishness even in relationships, even as you connect. There are many times I think, hey, someone calls and I'll just text them back because I really don't want to get into a conversation. <laughs> I don't want to deal with the person. I just want to transfer the information. 
I think technology and social media really at times can allow you and I to maintain an element of a selfish agenda in which we actually think we're connecting, but we're not connecting at the depth and the level that you and I have to connect. In fact, it's Epaphroditus that he's going to say that's going to, that, that in coming to Paul actually risked his own life. To actually be present from going from Philippi to Rome where Paul was, which was a two-month journey, a two-month journey just to get there and be in person to deliver a message, uh, not to mention how quickly a text or a phone call could be. He takes a two-month travel route just to get there to be in person. It costs him a ton of time, but even the journey itself, according to Paul in the book, uh, it was actually to risk his own life. It actually was, in a sense, him throwing the dice and gambling on his life. It took great jeopardy and put him at great jeopardy just to make that trip and just to be in person. If you and I aren't convinced of the power of presence, you and I won't pay the cost of it. To be in person with one another is no substitute for it. So what does that mean? Let me give you guys three basic kind of principles of where I think this leads us to and what it looks like as to how you and I live in humility in, in the context of relationships in a day of social media. Let me give you guys three basic ideas, all right? First of all, I think it, you guys have to risk to reveal yourself. I want to challenge you guys to consider, as you look at, think about relationships, and even as you think about uh, social media, I want you guys to think on the area of risk. Uh, for Epaphroditus, he risked everything just to be present with the church in Philippi. He didn't just risk his time, he risked his own life. And as you guys think about social media, and, and as I use it at times and employ it, I will admit there's an element in social media and technology that I think it allows and it minimizes our risk in relationship. For some of you guys, uh, if you've ever asked out someone on Facebook or over text, why do you do it? Because it actually hurts far less if you get rejected over text than if you do it face-to-face, eye-to-eye, and you see the person's response. I think social media actually at times can allow us to remain more hidden and to minimize risk interpersonally. In fact, guys, let me just say, and this isn't just a guy thing, but uh, what is internet pornography and why is it so bad? I would say that what internet pornography is is not just an issue of purity in terms of the visual of what I'm letting my eyes look upon, but it is an issue that's all about relational risk. Pornography is a means that you can find sexual satisfaction without actually risking anything interpersonally or even being known or getting to know anybody. Uh, The people that you are often looking at are people that have been the victims of sexual abuse, but you have no idea of that because you have no idea who you're looking at. Nor have you risked anything interpersonally to have that kind of opportunity. You and I have been created in such a way, even sexually, to experience satisfaction always in the context of relationship that requires risk. I want to ask you guys this morning, as you employ and as you think about technology and social media, to what degree are you hiding in it and behind it? That may not be you at all. For some of us, it is. As you think about social media, as you think about technology, is it a place that you are hiding? Is it a place that you are not having to reveal yourself entirely and you are minimizing risk and maybe maintaining a sense of even selfishness in and through it? I don't know if that's you. I don't know if that's the spot that you're at, but I think for some of us, it is. For some of us, we are enjoying a place that we don't have to be known, therefore we don't have to be rejected. And it comes at far less risk, especially in certain arenas. So let me challenge you as you think about social media, don't let it be a place that you hide. Don't be a, let it be a place that you minimize your own sense of risk or that you would step out in boldness and continue to be selfless and humble as you engage in these vehicles. For some of you guys, it's not an element of trying to minimize risk. For some of you guys, it's an issue of self-promotion, right? Uh, for some of y'all aren't hiding at all in social media, you are throwing yourself to the display of everybody, right? Um, and let me challenge you guys, if that's you, I want to challenge you to consider as you engage in social media, 
What is your motive behind it? Uh, the reason why it drives me crazy uh, when I hear and see, you know, the boyfriend, girlfriend saying, hey, look at my roses that I got. Look at this. Look at how perfect my life is. You know, it's, it's, that's so not reality. Why, why don't you post about your big fight you had last week, right? Uh, give me a real picture of what life is like, right? And yet what we want to promote, what we want to put out there is something that looks just perfect for everybody else. It makes everybody else think, oh, if I could just have their life, <laughs> right? Right? Look how, look how perfect my relationship is. Look how perfect my family is. Look at uh, this and look at that. Don't you wish you had that? Isn't that what this is about? And I think for so many of us in terms of social media, it is all about self-promotion. As if we really care where, where you're at, what you're thinking, and what you're doing every second of the day. We don't, all right? People don't, all right? And yet, sure, I think there's a, a legitimate desire just to connect and for people to have a relationship and to interface with one another, and that's fantastic. But be weary and be careful and cautious as to your motives in it. If it is about self-promotion, you've missed the boat and you are operating in these vehicles and through these mediums in a way that really is uh, moving contrary to humility, contrary to love. It's not about you, uh, whether it's in the social media or whether it's in relationships. Thirdly, let me give you guys one last idea. Uh, give away your time. I think uh, as you think about social media, as you think about technology and relationships, I think one of the, the clearest challenges I want to give you is to think about your time. Uh, I, I will tell you guys in college, my, I had a college roommate who, um, God bless his mom, but when she called, if, I, if, if uh, my roommate was not there, I did not answer because simply to pick up the phone and say hello was a 30-minute commitment, all right? She was a long talker, all right? Uh, and this is no lie. Uh, when she would call and talk to her son, he would literally put the phone down at times, and every 15 minutes, pick it up and go, uh-huh, uh-huh, put it down and go do something. Another 15 minutes, uh-huh, uh-huh, and put it down, all right? She was a long talker, all right? It was a huge relational commitment just to engage on the phone, all right? Um, I wouldn't even listen to her voicemails because those were a five to seven minute commitment, all right? Just a message, all right? And that's in person, all right? I think, forget being, uh, uh, that's just in, on the phone. For some of us, we won't even get on the phone because we'd rather just text because that's a much more quick, much more convenient way to interact. And I want to challenge you the complete opposite direction and say, you've got to find places in your life that you are in person with one another and it will cost you a lot of time. Epaphroditus, Timothy, Paul, it would have cost them two months just to make the visit to the church in Philippi. But for them, it was so necessary that it was worth it. What is the cost that you have to pay to be in person with one another? Uh, On the phone and on text, I have a boundary that I can quickly get out of this conversation because I'm walking in somewhere, right? But in person, there's nowhere else to walk. There's no other conversation to pick up on. You are completely owned by the person you're with, and that's great. To be in person comes at a greater cost, not just of your time, but even of your emotion, as you are wholly that person. You cannot multitask. You are there for wherever that conversation is going, whatever it is that they need. There is no substitute to be in person, yet it comes at a great cost at times, especially sometimes your time. Uh, to either make a schedule that can get you in person with that person. Uh, maybe it's the time it takes to travel there. Maybe uh, it's not just a roommate that you can walk across a living room to connect with. Maybe it's not even just a person that you can walk across the dorm to connect with. But maybe it's a person that's in a different city that you know, man, you need to be in person with that person. And, and what I want to do this morning as we kind of wrap up is give you basically two quick questions. The last one is one I'm hitting already and, and just ask you guys this week, if being in presence, uh, being in the person with one another and there's such a power of presence, then who this week do you need to be in person with? Who is it that you need to sit down with? Who is it you need to make an appointment with? Who is it you need to sit there and be bedside as they're in a hospital? Or who is it you need to sit there and just listen to as they've gone through tragedy? Not over Skype, not over FaceTime, 
not over the phone, but actually in person. Maybe this week for you, you need to get in your car and you need to drive next weekend somewhere just to sit in person with someone for a few hours and just to say, hey, I value enough. I'm going to be right here with you, fully yours. The fullness of my heart, the fullness of my attention to be yours. And I'll do that. Maybe someone this week that just needs a hug. I don't know who it is in your life this week, but I want to challenge you just to consider and, and put it before the Lord and say, hey, Lord, who is it this week that I just need to, to, to not only to be sensitive to their needs, but realize that maybe it's pressing enough that I need to arrange my life and my schedule to actually stop everything I'm doing and to be in person with them so that they're my number one priority. Second question I'd throw you guys just more generically is to examine your own use of social media and technology. How, how do you need to change your use of those in the light of the power of presence? If there is no substitute for presence and being in person with one another, then uh, is there a sense in which you need to change your use of technology and even your use of social media? I don't know how those come together for you. I don't know where you are. I try to give you guys a few different op- uh, options, a few different directions where that might take you, uh, but I don't know where you are. I don't know what the Spirit might be trying to lead you guys to as we look at a passage this morning that is a bit unique and a bit particular as Paul really kind of directs people's travel plans. But I think a passage that is so particular and powerful, especially in our day and time. I don't think Philippians 2, 19 to 30 is filler at all. I think if anything, it might be one of the most piercing uh, points Paul has to make to you and I, especially in the day and time that you and I live in. in which is that maybe for many of us, we have de-emphasized the necessity and the power of presence. And the impact of being in person with one another, looking at each other in the eyes and doing life with one another side by side. For some of us, we won't do it because we want to self-promote. For some of us, we won't do it because we want to risk and, and hide out. I don't know where you are. I don't know what, what is for you, what's going on, what the Spirit is trying to provoke you in, but I want to challenge you in those areas and say, hey, take some time this week. Uh, you don't have to go through a fast of social media, but I'd say as you engage in social media, check your heartbeat. What's going on as you engage it? Is it fear or is it faith? Is it a fear that wants to hide or is it a, a boldness and a pride that wants to, 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 in a sense, promote self and put yourself out there so that everyone gathers around, uh, applauds you, and validates your sense of worth? What's going on for you as you use these vehicles and these mediums? And hopefully you get a sense of uh, balancing that with the power of presence. That's really kind of my heartbeat and hope for you guys this morning. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for so many of the advances in technology. I thank you for so many things that we can do and the vehicles that we can use, even for your purposes and for your glory. I thank you for so many of these vehicles even now that we can maintain relationships with people that we are not actually physically present with. Thank you for the way that it has really advanced so much of the way that we communicate and relate to one another. And yet, Lord, I pray that you give us shrewdness. I pray that you give us wisdom as we look at these different vehicles in our lives and ask and, and wonder uh, their impact on us, their impact on our relationships. Uh, and Father, I pray that you would even allow us to really uh, survey our own heartbeat as we engage these things. And what's going on? Uh, why do we pursue them? Why do we engage in them? What, what, what's uh, pushing us and motivating us and, and, and driving us forward, Lord? I pray that we could engage in these things, um, not with a, a weirdness that pulls away completely, but in a way that brings wisdom and brings humility as we engage in these vehicles for your purposes and for your glory to establish your own kingdom and love people well. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your son and by your spirit. Amen. You guys, thanks for being here with us this morning. Have a great week.